for the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you, and we thank you that you are a present help in the time of our need. God, we need you right now, and we trust that we would listen for that quiet and still voice that you would be able to direct us as to which direction we must follow you in. Now, oh God, we, we lift up those who are stricken with the virus, the coronavirus. Oh God, we lift up this country and we pray that we would humble ourselves and turn to an all-wise God. Lord, we thank you for what you are doing in the midst of all of this. We bless you that you have honored our prayer and unity in the body of Christ through the leadership by giving us a property where we can make disciples that make disciples. God, we're praying that you would provide the resources. God, you know all that is needed, every financial dime that is needed. And God, we know that great things only come through prayer. And so, God, we are petitioning you that you would move upon the hearts of our partners and members that come this time next year or maybe a little beyond, we'll find ourselves reaching the masses for Jesus Christ in our new, our new home for you. We thank you and we bless you in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. We thank you and we do lift up that name which is above every name. Welcome to the judgment-free zone. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, we read, Do not judge, or you will be judged, for in the same manner that you judge others, you will also be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. If you've experienced any of these three examples that I'm going to share with you, just say amen in the privacy of wherever you find yourself. You're driving home when you notice in your rearview mirror the flashing lights of the city's finest, a police officer. And you're hoping that it is not because of something that you have done that has drawn the notice of a police officer. I mean, you're only driving a little above the speed limit. But after a few moments, it becomes clear that you have won the award of being pulled over by a police officer. Now, while the officer is still remaining in his cruiser, a thousand thoughts may flood your mind as they do mine. How fast was I driving? Man, I don't remember if I paid that outstanding ticket. Change my wallet, and, and I don't know if my insurance card is in my new wallet. 
if I reach for my owner's and registration card, will the officer think I'm trying to secure a weapon? Uh, am I going to die tonight? Um, I hope this is not because of an unpaid college loan or outstanding child support payment. And so as the officer approaches your car and asks you to roll your window down, you feel compelled to confess to 50 things, only to hear the words of the, of the officer saying, sir, I pulled you over because your coat was stuck in the door and it was dragging on the ground. And I know that you would not want your coat destroyed. Now, guess what you and I were guilty of? Prejudging, making assumptions that were wrong. Maybe you've had this experience. Say amen if you did. You're watching TV, and you hear about a famous actor who's about your age, or you, you get an email, or you're on Facebook, and someone your age just suddenly died from a heart attack. Tell me this hasn't been your experience. All of a sudden, your chest starts to get a little tight. You start wondering if, you know, if this perspiration means that you're actually having a heart attack. I should have gotten that EKG that the doctor recommended, and I haven't been to the doctor in six months. I'm going to make a scheduled appointment. And you do, you, you, you sweat bullets while you're waiting for the results. The results come back favorably. But in the interim, you have assumed, you have prejudged, and often, like me, self-diagnosed. Say amen if that has been your experience. Now, this actually happened to me. It was a Friday night. I get the call, hospice wants me to go to Newport, Delaware. A patient has died, their family is distraught. And so it's after five o'clock. And so I'm heading to Newport uh, to console this family, to comfort them. And uh, so when I arrive, to my surprise and shock, there are at least 50 people standing outside of the house. Some of them have Confederate flag bandanas, tattoos, motorcycle riding, sunglass wearing, snuff snorting, <laughs> looking at me as I'm sitting in my car trying to decide, should I get out of my vehicle and I look at the house, there's a Confederate flag in the front window. And I said, well, maybe I ought to make a call home just in case I don't get out of this. Uh, I, my wife does know where my five last wishes are and the, where my life insurance is. And uh, even though I don't want to die this way, I, I can't call reinforcements because it's 5 o'clock on Friday night and I, it's it's not no Kimasabi and me. I'm on my own. Ain't no Tonto in this. And so 
I finally get my, my thoughts together, say a little prayer, and I walk into the house. There's another 30 people. And as I'm making my way to the bedside of the deceased to pray over her body with her family, I am greeted by the kindest, the most inviting and loving people that I can think of having met. They treated me like they had known me all their lives. And so here I am in my brain already assuming all kinds of horrible things about these people that I had never met because of assumptions, prejudgments, based on stereotypes. Somebody say amen. amen. Judging others <laughs> is something that doesn't get better with time. It gets worse. The older we get, the more we become skilled at assuming, unfortunately, the worst about people. We read the book by its cover. We don't have to read the whole thing. We know what they're into. Someone has suggested that judging others is one of our favorite sporting events. We secretly enjoy finding flaws in others because it makes us feel better about ourselves. Sometimes what we call people watching is really people judging. Breaking free in Christ, as our series started three weeks ago, means that you and I have been released from the power of sin and Satan's control so that you and I can serve Jesus in others while reaching our full potential in him and for him. When we are walking in this type of freedom, we welcome people with an attitude of no judgment zone here. No judgment zone here. I'm reminded of the fact in John chapter 3, verse 17, Jesus speaking, he said, for God did not, John speaking of Jesus, for God did not send him into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We should be reminded of the fact that the world is already condemned. And it is the job of the church to lead condemned people to Jesus that judgment will be removed. We must understand that there is a difference between making judgments and passing judgment. There is a difference between making judgments, making decisions, using discernment, choosing the best from the good than it is from making absolute final judgments. As we turn our attention to Matthew's chapter 7, 
Jesus gives explicit, explicit instructions to his followers. And, and, and remember, we're talking about the followers of Jesus. This is are the golden rules. These are the beatitudes. These are the instructions and the guidelines for living heavenly on earth. And so if you are a Christian, these words are for you. And this is the last section of the Beatitudes that, are, that begin in chapter 5 of Matthew, where Jesus gives instructions about how believers should have a welcome, welcome to the judgment-free zone as, a, as, an, as an expression of our daily attitude and actions when people are in our presence. Listen again to uh, verses 1 through 6. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the, tell of the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? Here's what Jesus says of those kinds of people. You hypocrite. Face first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the sawdust, the, the speck from your brother's eye, and then he concludes, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do not, if you do, they will be trampled, they will trample them underfoot and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, there are just three things that I want to share with you from the word of God today and bear with me because I believe that if we become free in Jesus, and learn how to see people from his vantage point. Oh, God, it would, it would genuinely make us move to another level in our spirituality. Uh, the Bible says that Jesus was a friend of sinners. I, I want you to understand that if he could not look beyond their fault and see their need, if Jesus was not able to avoid prejudging people, he would have never been able to lead them out of darkness into the marvelous. Like three questions that I want to answer. First of all, what does Jesus mean when he says we should not judge? Secondly, I want to consider why is prejudging others so dangerous? Why is it so dangerous? And finally, I want to suggest to you some principles from the word of God, how you and I can avoid judging judging others. Welcome to the judgment-free zone. Now, what did Jesus mean when he said, judge not, or do not judge, or you too will be judged? Now, I find this very interesting. It doesn't matter if a person is a believer or unbeliever. There are two Bible verses they know. We all know. Judge ye not. And God so loved the world. And we, we kind of make John 3, 16, Matthew 7, 1. God so loved the world, so don't judge me. Don't, don't, don't put no shade on me. I'm just keeping it real. 
And so people are quick to throw those verses as barriers when you approach them about areas in their life that need to be challenged. Now, the word that is used in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, is a very unique term in how Christ actually uses, uses it. It only occurs three times in the entire New Testament, and it is the word krinos, krinos or krino. And it is, the, it is the derivative or the equivalent of our English word, critical, critic, and it can also be rendered through our English word, prejudice. So crino is our English word, critical, criticism, critic, prejudice, prejudging. Now, you're not going to find the word prejudice in the Bible. The way it's rendered often in, a, in, our, in our Bible is the word partiality or favoritism. Um, now, there are two levels in which the word crino is used as it relates to either a negative, unacceptable judgment of others, or on the second level, as a positive and acceptable type of judgment. And so let me just share with you, Krinos on the human, as a human judgment or criticism means to form an opinion or conclusion about someone based on limited information. Somebody say amen. It means that you prejudge someone or something based on inadequate and sometimes inaccurate information. Judging that Jesus says that we should not do in Matthew 7 verse 1 can also be an irrational dislike of somebody, an unfounded hatred or fear, or distrust of a person or group because of the color of their skin, uh, because of their, uh, their sexual preferences, you just hate them. I don't like dark people. I don't like people that, that uh, don't have tats on both arms. And, and, and I don't like people that, go, that live in, in Wilmington. And Vir I, I, don't, I only get along with folks that show an irrational dislike of somebody based on these types of preferences. Uh, we see this example in Mark chapter 6, in verses 1 through 6. Jesus visits his hometown, the city of Nazareth, where he was born. And the Bible says, on the Sabbath, Jesus stood up and he began to teach as one who had great authority. And the people were just amazed. They were astonished. They were blown away by the effectiveness and the, the absolute clarity and skills that Jesus demonstrated in his teaching. And so as they were listening to Jesus and, and, and marveling at his exploits, somebody in the audience said, isn't this the son of Mary and Joseph? Don't his sisters, half-sisters, human sisters, don't they still live amongst us? They, 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 they ghetto kids like us. Who does this joker think he is? And so 
on the basis of the package, they rejected the message because they couldn't get past what they saw in the messenger. The Bible says that he was in the world, and the world was made by him, but the world knew him not. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. Jesus was prejudged. He, he was inaccurately analyzed. They concluded, if, if, we, if nothing good can come out of Nazareth and we still live here, how can Jesus be any better than we are? And the Lord, can, the Bible says that he could not do many miracles there except for laying on the hands of a few. Now, just, just, just hear that. The miracle worker, the one who spoke into existence everything that is, could not, because of being prejudged, flourish and, 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 and express the full potentiality that God, as the God-man, was embodied in him. I want you to know when we prejudge people, it doesn't mean that they lack the skill. It doesn't mean that they don't have the potential. It doesn't mean that they lack the gift. Sometimes the gift can be smothered because you can't receive it because you're concentrating on the package rather than what is on the inside of the package. Somebody say amen. Human judgment that Jesus is talking about is not making judgments, not making decisions. It's drawing conclusions and making absolute definitive it can't be anything but this because I know. Divine judgments speak about final and total accurate conclusions drawn by God that are only reserved to him. Only God has all of the information all of the time and he's always right and he has Evidence that is indisputable, and so he can draw total and final conclusions about why something was done or not done when the word crino is used of God. Let me give you an example in Revelation chapter 20, verses 12 through 13. Here we are allowed to witness this kind of final judgment that is never flawed or lacking in undeniable proof. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works. They were judged by God according to their works, by the things which were written in his book. How many of you know that God is a good record keeper? Oh, nothing escapes his eyes. The sea gave up their dead who were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead who were in it. Here we go again. And they were judged, each one, according to his works. We have no authority to judge another, per another person standing before God. We can deal with people's behavior. 
But we cannot go beyond what the word of God has already said. And so when God says, if you remain in your sin and don't repent, you will die in your sin and you will spend a Christless eternity in hell. That's not my judgment. God made that judgment. So I can only say to you what God has said. And when I go beyond that, now I'm operating in the realm of God rather than operating in the realm of my limitation, which says I can't draw a final conclusion. We can put people out of the church body, but we can't put people out of the body of Christ. When somebody's in sin, the Bible says there are times when people can be excommunicated. But the scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we turn that person over to Satan for the destruction of the body. But if they're saved, we may, it doesn't look like it. That's why they got put out. But God ultimately knows. And some of us are going to be greatly surprised when we get to heaven. Not only that we're in there but people that we said that could never make it, they'll be waiting to greet us. Now, human judgment is permissible when it is based on the truth of God's word. We make judgments all the time. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses, uh, in verse 15, where he talks about, he says, he who, who he, he who is spiritual... He who is spiritual judges all things. And so he says, when you are operating in the realm, in the control, as a mature Christian, your discernment for what is right and wrong and decisions that need to be made are going to not only be informed by the word of God, but are going to be under the authority of the word of God. First, starting with yourself, because we're correcting people with fear and in trembling, giving, being ready to give an answer to every man of the hope that's within us, but not out of arrogance, not out of some sense of I've arrived and I'm better than you and you need to get yourself together. But no, I'm trembling lest I be overtaken by the same fault. And so there are times when human judgment is acceptable. There's times when human judgment is acceptable. I can give you an illustration of that where Jesus, in, in John chapter 8, a woman who's in, caught in the very act of adultery. It's early in the morning. Jesus is in the temple, and he's preparing to, to teach. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they bring a woman. And it, the, the way it appears is they didn't even give the woman a chance to put her clothes on. She's thrown in the presence of Christ and, and, and disheveled and right out of a man's arms. Of course, they didn't bring the brother. And last, I know you can't commit adultery by yourself. But they bring the woman, and they say, you know what the law of Moses said. Let, let me quote some scripture to you, Jesus. And, and, and let, let me, let's get this judgment. On, on the roll here. Let, let's make some final conclusions about what should happen to this woman. And they said, the law of Moses said if a, if a person is caught in adultery, they should be stoned. They should be killed. And, and in some senses, that is also not only a judgment on the act, but it's a judgment on the person's soul. It's almost like saying this person is evil and they need to be destroyed and they're, they're going to die in their unsaved. Uh, this is not asking this woman to repent and to be restored. This is, let's do away with this. So the Bible says that Jesus, he began to write in, he kneeled down and began to write in the sand, write in the dirt. And he kept writing. The more, the louder their accusations, the higher, the more pressure they gave him, the more he would write. And finally he stood up and he said, you who are without sin, 
let him cast the first stone. <laughs> and then the scripture says that the oldest to the youngest, they begin one by one to drop down their, drop their boulders, drop their, drop their rocks, and they begin to walk away. And then Jesus uh, uh, kneeled, stood up again a second time, and he looked at the woman and he says, where are your accusers? Where are your judge? Where are the ones who are trying to act in the place of God to make final judgment about your soul, about your worth, who are operating in the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law? That's what happens when we're operating from a judgmental spirit that is based on inaccurate, uninformed, limited information. We, are, we, we act like we, we, we are God. And we'll be stoning everybody when Jesus is saying, put it down. Put your, put your stone down. Just, just put it down, because even when we're throwing it, we hide in our hand. <laughs> Divine judgment is not ours to execute. Jesus says to the woman, the only one here that can condemn you is me. The only one who really knows your heart and, and, and why this occurred. I, I'm not saying what you did was right, but I do understand that you didn't do this by yourself. And I do understand, but for the grace of God, so go all of us. And, and sin does beset us. But if we repent, the Lord stands ready and willing to restore us. Because we, once was, we were once lost, but we've been found, thank you, Jesus. So Jesus says, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. God is the only one who has the right to pass judgment on people. We can make decisions. You decided today if you're going to brush your teeth or not brush them. I hope you did. You decided today if you were going to get up and and listen to the sermon or, 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 or do something different. That's, that's also a, a crino, and, and that was fine. But when you start talking about, I know why you did it. I don't care what you say. This is what really was in your heart. Now you're stepping out of human domain into divine domain. Welcome to a judgment-free zone. Now, why is it so dangerous? I'm glad you asked. First of all, finiteness disqualifies us. We are limited and have boundaries. Now, I'm not going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. The apostle Paul essentially says this. I know some of you jokers out there judging me. Probably don't like the fact that my head is bald and I have a hook nose. I don't dress like Apollo. He wear those $500 cufflinks, those $1,000 shoes, and he knows how to navigate his way around the internet, the Twitter, the uh, Instagram. I don't know how to do that. You're judging me. He says, he said, I don't even judge myself because there's some stuff I do. I, I, I tell me, ask me to tell you why I did it. I don't know. That's why the Bible says the word is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces between the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints of marrow. And then it says, it is a discerner of the very thoughts and intents. We don't know why we, sometimes we think we're doing it for the right reason, and then we realize it was because of carnality we wanted attention. And how do we know? It's because we, when you don't get this response, you said to somebody, I love you, and they didn't say it back. And now you're upset. Well, you did the right thing, but you did it for the 
wrong reason. Finiteness disqualifies us. Paul says, don't judge beforehand. Judgment ultimately about what we do and the reason we do it is God's responsibility. And one day all of us will stand before Almighty God. And we will give an account for the things that we've done. Here's another reason why we, why it's dangerous to judge people on a human level without being informed and directed by the Spirit of God. Fallenness disqualifies us. Write that down. Fallenness. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18 says, they, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. When Adam fell, we all fell in him. And now when we look at the world through the eyes of human understanding, we don't see clearly, we don't see what God sees because our thoughts are not his thoughts and our ways are not his ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's ways higher than ours and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. We don't see things clearly. Our thoughts are depraved. Many times we think we know about people, especially the people that we live with. And while we've already drawn conclusions and made final decisions, here we go again. I ain't talking about the same thing, and it ain't going to ever get better. You ain't going to ever grow. You're not saying all this because you, you don't want to argue. But when we're operating out of our fallen state, rather than the filling of the Spirit of God, you, ca you cannot see the work of God in a person's life and how they are growing and changing. You've concluded that they can't. Fallenness disqualifies us. Fairness isn't a two-way street. Write that down. Here's a third thing. Fairness is not a two-way street. Listen to what the Scripture says. For in the same way you judge others, <laughs> you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. We don't do unto others the way we would have them do unto us. Isn't it interesting how this works, how fairness isn't a two-way street? You do something to somebody that you would never tolerate if they did it to you. And you say... I had a bad moment. You say, they should know my heart. You say, they need to get over it. I already said I'm sorry one time. How many times do I have to apologize? But if they did the same thing to you, it was intentional. They were trying to hurt you. They're really evil. They don't like you. They're trying to destroy you. Yeah, they apologize. I don't think they meant it. And so before I fully forgive them, I'm going to take, I'm going to take some time to observe and warm that bad boy over the, uh, over the flame to see how many, they cry, how many times they apologize. And when that number hits the right, whatever that is, then I'll, then I'll believe them. Fairness does not operate on a two-way basis when we're operating in human 
judgment, prejudging people. How dare us withhold forgiveness from others when we so freely demand it from them? We don't turn God's mercies away. The Bible says that great are his, great is his faithfulness. His mercies are new every day. We don't say, oh, God, don't give me your mercies. Uh, but we do say, God, don't give it to them. Do you know what they did? Did you see how he looked at me? How many times I got to take this? But what you say that you can't take and what is unforgivable and what you constantly flash in the face of others, you repeatedly are guilty of it. Every time you withhold forgiveness, you're guilty of the same sin. Do not judge, for in the same manner you judge, you will be judged. You'll get that back. He who shows mercy will receive mercy. Fairness is not a two-way street. We don't want people to treat us. We spend so much time developing cases against each other and reminding people of everything that they ever did do to you. And as soon as somebody brings up your past, then all of a sudden it's off limits. Here's another reason why it's dangerous. Focusing on the sins of others blinds us to our own. Jesus said, here you, here you are focusing on the sawdust, the speck, the splinter that is in someone else's eye, and you're walking around with a plank, a freaking telephone pole. And you, the, 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 you're, you are so blinded to your own limitations and your own tendencies and your own bad habits that you, that, that you can't see that you're unclothed, that you, that, that, that you need to repent. We're blinded to our own sins. Our attention is on the, other, on the weaknesses of others. It's like what we do, we magnify the, the faults of others and we minimize our own when you have a plank in your eye and you're trying to abstract a speck that's in somebody else's eye. Here's another final reason. Fault finding can destroy people. He said, first remove the telephone pole out of your own eye before trying to deal with the speck that is in another person's life. Now, now, now listen to this. Jesus is actually using an analogy of a surgical procedure. The speck is a problem, but it's so minute that it, you, you can barely see it, and the person can just feel it. But you ever, had, you ever have a splinter in your hand, and you wanted to get it out, and somebody come with some pliers, or let me start squeezing? He said, wait a minute. Removing a speck requires, it requires uh, uh, delicacy and precision. And, and in the case of faults in people's lives, it requires spiritual sensitivity and maturity. You can't just go yanking a speck out of somebody's eye. You can destroy somebody by constantly criticizing them for what they are failing to do. How easy it is to find fault in others rather than to find reasons to encourage them and build them up in the Lord. I've asked people during married couples uh, counseling, would you write the list of uh, uh, strengths of your mate when they're having marital problems? And would you write their weaknesses? They can fill pages with weaknesses and struggle because the devil has blinded them to their own faults to list the many strengths 
that caused you to, draw, to, to marry that person. All of a sudden, they don't have those strengths anymore. And sometimes, if I've had the pleasure of doing the premarital counseling, I'll pull out the note, and I said, when you were courting this person, you had a three-page list of strengths. Now, all of a sudden, it's down to half of a page. Fault-finding can destroy people. You can wipe people out by constantly trying to show them where they are failing, where they are weak, where they need to rise up to your standards. I remember reading an illustration that Tony Evans uh, shared about his son. His 11-year-old son wanted to show his dad that he could dunk a basketball. So he convinced his father to come down to the gymnasium to show him that he loved he could dunk the ball, only to discover when he got to the gym that his son had had the janitor to lower the rim. And yes, he was able to dunk the, the ball once he changed the standard. I want you to know that when you become the standard, when you make yourself in the place of God, when you decide that I can make these final decisions about folk, all you've done is lowered the rim. The rim wasn't, is not where God's standard is. You made yourself. Fault finding. You can destroy people, destroy your marriage. I know what you meant. I hear what you're saying. I've been living with you too long to know that you didn't mean this. You ought to have known that our anniversary, this was our 59th anniversary, not our 58th and a half. Wait a minute. We're still in the middle of the year, and I, it's our 58th and a half because we're not at the, well, you should have known to say 59. I can't believe this. I don't know if I want to sleep in the same bed as you tonight. How insensitive are you? Fault finding can destroy your marriage, destroy your children, destroy your relationship with your coworkers. You're so busy watching how they are conducting themselves at, at work. Oh, yeah, I know they must have a smoking habit. They look like they get high. I know they don't take care of their kids. They just give their kids everything they want. And, man, if I was them, you aren't them, and you don't know their hearts. And if God were to shine on the screen the things that we actually think about people, Oh, God, there'd be rumbling, and you're talking about rumble in the jungle. There'd be fights all over the place. Now, how can you avoid prejudging others? How can we do it? First of all, we need to refuse to draw conclusions about people without the facts. We're going to stop judging people, judging people's hearts. I remember uh, we were standing outside of a church. There was a funeral going on. One of our neighbors had died group of kids that couldn't go in. The church was full. But we could see the woman in the casket with the door open. They didn't have air conditioning in the church. And one of my neighbors, a young lady, said, she's going to bust hell wide open. I know she's in hell right now. So I, I said, whoa. I wasn't even saved. I said, how do you know she's in hell? She said, well, ain't no red dress wearing woman going to get into heaven. She, had, she was buried in a red dress. Uh, this young church-going lady forgot that the Lord says, you brought nothing into this world, and surely you will take nothing out. <laughs> she must have forgotten that the Bible says, 
from dust to dust, you shall return. And from ashes to ashes, everything that you're wearing in that casket ain't going to heaven. The Bible says that this incorruptible flesh will take on incorruption. And this mortal body shall take on immortality. We're going to be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. But when you're judging people based on their outward appearance, we put ourselves in the place of God. I want to give you an assignment. This week, record your tendency to prejudge others. You will be surprised at how often we do this. I caught myself this week just calling stuff out in my brain. I know they ain't married. Here she is pregnant. He won't even hold her hand. I bet she was holding her hand when they were making that. I'm like, whoa, where's all this coming from? I don't know this young lady or this man. I done concluded all kinds of things. Making all these assumptions and prejudgments. Write down how often you do it today. How we do it with our own children and our wives and our husbands. I know why he didn't speak. I know why he, he, he's acting like that. You do? Last I know, your name ain't Jesus. Or maybe you Jesus Jr. I don't know, but <laughs> he ain't advocated his throne to you and me. Here, let, let, let's run on. I'm almost done. Remain humble in the same way you judge others. It's coming back to you. Humility says, but for the grace of God. That could be me. In fact, not only could it be me, but I'm simply a sinner saved by grace. I'm just a hungry beggar who has found food trying to show somebody else where they can come and get the same food that I found. Repent is a sin to prejudge people. It's sin. It's wrong. Put your note tablet away. Burn up your standards and, 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 and people having to be like some list that you've made in your brain. Remove the telephone pole. Remove the plank from your eye before you try to help somebody else. The reason why we can't express the love of Christ and we're not helping people get delivered, we're too busy looking for faults. We're looking for too many, we're too busy looking for reasons not to help. We're looking for reasons to keep things from working. We're looking for reasons to blame people for, for something that went wrong. God is looking for us to be a part of the answer. Jesus said, if you, if you know me, you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. We're almost done. Recognize the difference between righteous and unrighteous judgment. You and I can make judgments, but we cannot pass judgment. We don't have a final say. We, can't, we don't have a heaven or hell to put anybody in. I find that people 
who complain a lot, who have a critical spirit, and we call it being spiritually discerning when it's nothing but carnality based on spiritual arrogance, that somehow you are above others and it's what you think and how you feel that makes something wrong or right. The devil is a liar. And unfortunately, too many people who are people pleasers will bow down at the altar of dominant, controlling people to try to, to rise to their standard rather than to the purpose and the excellence that God intends for us. We should be like Jesus. And Paul added this. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. Here's the final thing. Rely on the Holy Spirit for the right time and people to give constructive criticism to. He says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they will trample on them or under, un, trample them under their feet and will turn and tear you to pieces. Proverbs chapter 9, verses 6 and 8 says, uh, whoever corrects a scoffer, a fool, gets himself abused, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a fool, a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit to know when to speak into a person's life. I take it seriously when people ask me for counsel. I take it seriously when somebody says they want to be my spiritual son. Because I want to speak a word that is a proceeding word from God. I want to be able to speak into their lives the very word of God. I'm not trying to cast my pearls among swine or to feed something that is sacred to those who are unsaved and can't receive it. Rely on the Holy Spirit. One of my most memorable experiences happened in my mother's house. It was on a Saturday night. I was at home from college. And one of my cousins, older cousins, grown. She had seven children, same husband. But she was in my house with my mother, and she was really lit. And I don't mean simply a cigarette lit. She was tore up from the neck up. Oh, she was drunk. I decided to tell her about Jesus because I'd had experiences when I had witnessed to people that were under the influence, and the word of God literally sobered them. Oh, it did not sober her. Oh, she went there. Every foul an unsacred word. I had never been cussed out so bad. Lord have mercy. I would, by the time she got finished cussing me and telling me to get out of her face and who do I think I am? And I, I ain't Jesus. You ain't Jesus. You need to get your black this, that. I mean, she went there. And man, I wanted to just creep out of the room under the rug. And I was trying to, I was like, you touch an electrical current and you caught on to that thing. And you can't, I mean, this woman was, she was frying me. And I'm thinking in my holy and sanctified mind, 
this woman must have 10 demons. If Satan had a sister, she's his twin. And she, this woman is beyond, she done committed the sin of blasphemy. Look how she talked to me. There's no way that she can ever be saved. What a, dis I'm thinking all these holy and righteous thoughts as she's cussing me out. Unrighteous, defiled, how ridiculous. She got seven kids. She only, I don't know, no, no, no. I'm thinking all these things. And then finally I leave the room. I didn't pray for her. I was like, how dare her? Does she know I, I'm in school. I'm studying the Bible. I know a couple Bible verses. Some years later, she had seven more children. The first seven children all went to prison. But on that eighth child, my cousin trusted Jesus. Oh, God. Oh, God. Now, I had nothing to do with it. But when I heard her testimony, how God so changed her life and how she would pray with people in, at 3 in the morning and how she would prepare food for all of the pastors and the deacons and she'd be the first one at church and she'd clean the seats and she would make sure that the pastor had everything that he could ever want. When I saw how God had changed her life, I had to repent. Because I had made a final judgment. I had decided she could never be saved. I had decided she was beyond repentance. I had decided her life was wrecked. All those children know this, know that. But God said, not so. Aren't you glad God said not so? Aren't you glad he never gave up on you? Aren't you glad he still is a way maker? Aren't you glad? That he looked beyond all that he knew that you would ever do, all that he knew that you'd ever say, all that he knew that we still think. And he embraced you with his everlasting love. And the same Jesus. promise. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. The same Jesus said, he who began a good work, I am going to finish what I started. I may not be what I want to be. But I thank God <laughs> that I'm not what I used to be. Here's Jesus' welcome to the no judgment zone. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And then he adds, all that come unto me, I will in no ways turn away. Aren't you glad that he didn't turn you away? Because he prejudged. Oh God, help us from the spirit of judging others in ways that break your heart. 
Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you.